Praise be to God. Good morning, everyone. Desire, passion, jealousy, betrayal, anger, abuse, running away. These are all things that you can find just watching a 30-second commercial for The Bachelor. And I see vital laughs that we, we know what we're talking about. Even if you've never seen the show, you know the basic premise. There's one single guy, The Bachelor, and there's 30 single women who are all competing with each other to be Mrs. Bachelor. And so as the, as the show goes on, there's, there's anger, there's jealousy, there's backstabbing, betrayal. Had bored him no children. But she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, which means God hears. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy, which is translated, the well of the living one who sees me. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. This is the word of the Lord. So our, our story today opens up with Sarai with a very basic statement. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And if you remember, this is not something new in the book of Genesis. We already saw this about two weeks ago when we opened up 
chapter 15. Chapter 15 started off with Abram bringing the same concern to God. Chapter 15 starts off, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So Abram was, he was concerned here. He was worried. He was worried he was not going to have any kids. He was not going to have any descendants. He was worried he's not going to have any heir. But God went ahead and he made a promise to Abram here. And it says in Genesis 15, verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. And it's just it's very bold. Your very own son. Your very own son will be your heir. In other words, no Aram, not someone else's son, but your son, your very own son will be your heir. It's plain and simple. When God promised that, it was as good as done. But that was chapter 15, and now we're on chapter 16. We don't know how much time has passed, but it seems like God hasn't kept his promise. It starts off, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. How much time had passed, we don't know, but she was starting to get a little bit impatient. So knowing that Abram's very own son would be his heir, and that's certain, but also seeing that time and time again she's not getting pregnant, she's not getting pregnant, Sarai formed a plan and starts off in the rest of verse 1. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by here. So if you think about it, this is actually, this is a very simple plan, right? She's not able to conceive. She's not able to get pregnant. She's not able to give Abram a son, which means technically she is standing in the way of God's promise coming true. She's the problem here. And she, at least in her mind, thinks, I'm the problem here. But I do have this servant. And if Abram were to have a son through the servant, then technically God would be right. Your very own son will be your heir. It's a, it's a wonderful plan, isn't it? Yeah, we have some uh, laughs thing, probably not. And you know, we can, we can appreciate Sarai for feeling this way. There's plenty of times in our own lives where God has called us to something and we're ready to go and the thing that we hear next is wait. Hold on. And then we're just waiting. And we're wondering how, how long. Whether it's ministry or parenthood or a job or, or some other calling the timing just doesn't seem to go along the way that we expect it to. And we start to think that maybe God's the one dragging his heels. Now, if we're unfaithful, we might abandon that. But if we're even faithful but not in a perfect way, we might try to help God out, right? Give him a little nudge. Try to get the ball rolling. And sometimes this, usually, I'd say, usually this doesn't go 
the way that we hoped. Back in 2012, there was a, there was a tiny little church in a corner of Spain. It had a beautiful fresco painting on the wall, Jesus with a crown of thorns. It was called Ece Homo, Behold the Man, from Pilate's famous saying. And I think you can, you can see it here. It's a beautiful painting, but it was in the, some rough shape. It had been deteriorating for a number of years, and they could fix it up and restore it. There was this 80-year-old member of the church, and she was getting impatient with how long it was taking for this painting to be restored. She was waiting and waiting and waiting and not seeing the restoration process go along. It was taking too long, so she decided to take matters into her own hands because she was an amateur artist, and she figured, maybe I should just help God out here a little bit, right? What if I were to touch up the painting myself? So she, she took the painting, she worked on it herself, and let's see the result of that. Yeah, it did not turn out very well, did it? It's okay, you can laugh. So, needless to say, the, the police were called in, and when Spanish police, they, when they realized this was not an act of vandalism, it was not a hate crime, it was just a little old lady who, had, who got in way over her head, um, after, they, after they determined that and the details were released to the public, this, this went viral on the internet, as I'm sure you can imagine. And so a new name for the painting was proposed. At first it was Behold the Man, but the new title of this painting is Behold the Monkey. This woman, this woman wanted to help. She had good intentions. She wasn't trying to destroy the painting, but she got in way too much over her head. She was not qualified to actually help move this along. And if you and I are serious with ourselves, that's, that's true for us all the time. Have you ever considered that God keeps the planets spinning in the orbit? Have you considered that he has every hair on every head in this room numbered? So when God says, I'm going to do something, and it's very clear that only he can do that, how do you and I think that we're going to help him along? He will do it in his own timing. God doesn't need our help to do what he said he's going to do. God doesn't need your help. He doesn't need my help to do what he already said that he is going to do. But Sarah didn't really believe that. And so she proposes this plan to Abram. And our text says this, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Why is that theologically significant? God told him, your very own son will be your heir. Plain meaning of that, you, your wife, going to have a kid. Ah, but I don't really see it working out with my wife. So it couldn't be that God really meant that. Did God really say, you see where we're going? Hearkening back to Genesis 2 here. And the snake slows up to Eve and says, did God really say that? And so Abram is supposed to follow the voice of God here, but he, he listens to this. Maybe it's not actually the way that it seems like it's supposed to be. So Sarai gives Hagar to Abram, and perhaps surprisingly, Hagar conceived almost right away, right? 
doesn't show any delay in the text. It's just almost, boom, she's pregnant. And so it seems that just by that alone, Sarai's logic was justified, okay? She really actually was the problem here. And so now everything's right with the world. God's plan can continue moving forward, but there's about to be some bachelor-level drama in this text. So we move on. Our text continues. And when Hagar saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. She looked with contempt on her mistress. What in the world does that mean? So as I, was, as I was preparing for this sermon today, I looked through a number of commentaries, most of which were written by men, and by and large, none of them wanted to touch this part. They, they kind of steered clear, and they're like, I don't really know what's going on here. But I think it's obvious, if you know anything about women. What was Sarah really saying when she first came to Abram with this plan? What, what drives a woman to say, go take my servant? What's she really saying? She's saying, Abram, I'm the problem. I'm the reason that you don't have a son. I'm just a withered old hag. And so if you want to have the promise, you got to find it somewhere else. And maybe she didn't fully believe that. She hoped that this wouldn't work out, but he just jumps right on it. And then Hagar gets pregnant on, like, what, the first try after she's tried for years and years to have a kid and not gotten one and not gotten one. It's the ultimate slap in the face. Abram wasn't getting what he needed with a woman his age, so he traded in for a younger model, and he got it on the first try. And there are plenty of women in our world who know the hurt and the pain of that. And if you notice, this is now the second time in the story of Abram that he has been unfaithful to his wife. It's the second time in the story that he's he's treated her like trash. You remember back to Genesis 12, I know it was a couple of weeks ago, but they were going into Egypt, and to save his own skin, he gave her as a wife to to Pharaoh. Save his own skin. And now here again, he's done something horrible to her again. Well, so now Hagar has looked with contempt on her mistress, Sarai. She's flaunting it. She's name-calling. And this causes a jealous fight. So Abram is here in the middle of a fight between two women. Two women who are jealous. Two women he's had intimate relations with. Two women who both want the honor of bearing him his promised son. And our text goes on. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So Abram's caught in the middle of a jealous fight between two women, not unlike The Bachelor is from time to time. But Abram sees a way out of this fight. You know, technically this is not his problem, right? Sarai, it's Sarai's servant. Hagar is Sarai's servant. 
And he says, hey, she's your servant. It's your problem. You deal with it. And Sarai does deal with it. Our text says that she treated her harshly. And that is, that's actually one word in Hebrew. It's used in a lot of other places in the Old Testament. And most of the time it's translated as afflicted her. Interestingly enough, in the previous chapter, when, uh, when Fletch was reading how, you know, Abram's descendants were going to be in a land not their own for 400 years, they were going to be afflicted. So you think about Egyptian slavery and the horrors of that. I don't think that Sarai gave Hagar a stern talk here. This is not a good picture of the people of God. Sarai, the woman of promise, the woman who Jesus is going to descend through one day in this story becomes Sarai, the domestic abuser. And it is, it is bad. Her rage is so bad that Hagar, a single pregnant slave, runs away alone, defenseless, off into the wilderness. From Karenet's perspective, if they found Hagar wandering around, they would say that she was definitely in a crisis pregnancy. She's been used, she's been abused, and now she is defenseless and alone with no support at all from her baby daddy. And let's, let's think about that a little bit more, right? A few weeks ago, we read about Abram traveling around in Genesis 14. When Abram found out that his nephew Lot was taken, he saddled up and he rode out. And you can see on this map, he rode about 120 miles north just to get to Dan. So Lot is taken by an army, and they're moving along, and Abram chases them along for 120 miles just to get there to begin fighting. And he fights Keterleomer off for another 40 miles after that. On the contrary, when Hagar runs off by herself, she goes about 80, you look at a map, she goes about 80 miles southwest to get to that spring. It would have taken her at least a few days being pregnant and going on foot. Abram went 160 miles one way after his nephew, but he would not even go half of that distance after the mother of his child. But even though Abram did not go after Hagar, someone else did. And our text picks up in verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. Who is this angel of the Lord? Well, there's, there's plenty of verses in the Old Testament where the angel of the Lord shows up, and I don't have time to show them all to you right now. But there's something curious that happens when the angel, the angel of the Lord shows up. There are angels of the Lord, there's an angel of the Lord, and then there's the angel of the Lord. And when the angel of the Lord shows up and talks to people, he usually talks in the first person as God. He doesn't say, God said, blah, blah, blah. He just says it. And when someone has seen the angel of the Lord and then they go talk to someone else, they say, I've seen God. Do you get it? The angel of the Lord is God. 
And so what that means is that even though Abram didn't go after Hagar, Abram's God, our God, went after her. He went after her. He pursued her. Jesus Christ was Hagar's knight in shining armor when nobody else in this text was going to be. And ladies, listen up. Jesus is Hagar's knight in shining armor, but he's also yours. And I know what you're thinking. You might be thinking, well, my husband is, or my boyfriend, or my fiance. And that's cute. And I appreciate that. But you're wrong. (laughs) You're wrong. Jesus is your knight in shining armor. Every single contestant on The Bachelor, all those 30 single ladies, they think that they're getting the ultimate catch with this guy. This guy who uses them and manipulates them and, you know, plays games, trying to be with one, then cozying up to another. But every man that you will ever meet who is not Jesus is a sinner in need of grace. And every husband in here can tell you that if you want to get dirt on me, you just have to talk to my wife. I know that in my own life, my, I have not always been princely or charming to my wife. But she loves me in spite of it. When Jesus comes to find Hagar, he tells her a couple of things. Let's look at the last one for a second in verse 11. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, which again, that means God hears. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. The Lord has listened to Hagar's affliction. But she goes ahead and she takes it one step further. Our text says, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen the one who looks after me. He's the God who hears her. He's and women of Emmanuel, there might be times where you feel like Hagar. You feel alone or afraid or defenseless. I strongly hope that this is not the case, but it might be that some of you have been used, abused, thrown away like she was. And you're still carrying around that shame after all of these years. But listen to this. The same God who found Hagar in the wilderness, who heard her affliction, who saw her there alone, and who came after her, he hears you. And he sees you, and he takes care of you. He loves you the way he loves her. Don't settle for anything less. Now, all the guys in the room are probably mad at me because they feel like I just threw them all into the bus. So here's my, here's my word of encouragement to you men. You're not a knight in shining armor. You're not Not for your wife, not for your girlfriend, not for some woman who's yet to come. Only Jesus fills those shoes. But you know what you could be? You could be the second best thing. A wife is a gift from the Lord. 
You're not God's gift to women. Woman is God's gift to man. And if God has blessed you with a woman in your life, then this is your calling here in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so men, if you have a woman in your life, you're called to love her as Jesus loves his church. And that is a high and holy calling, and you will fail, as I have. But there is grace for us when we fail. And when it works, when we, when we do love this way, we're a picture of the same love that Jesus has to a weak and weary world. If God has given you a woman in your life, treat her well. She's a daughter of the king. Now, the angel of the Lord does say a few other things to Hagar in this passage. Most importantly, he, he makes the exact same promise that he just made to Abram. Did you notice that? To this lowly Egyptian servant girl, God makes the same promise that he did to Abram. How incredible is that? He says, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And he also says this in verse 8. Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Hagar has been used and abused by Abram and Sarai. But in spite of all of that, and this is not a good chapter for Abram, is it? Right? This is a man who has just been praised because he had faith in God. This is a man who will be the one through whom all the nations are blessed. But even with this horrible chapter in the middle of that, God does not come to Hagar and say, I'm starting over with you. You will be the one through whom all the nations are blessed. Abram is still, in spite of his weakness, in spite of his failing, he is not thrown away by God. And that's good news for us because we are the people of God. And there are times when we mess up. There are times when we hurt people and send them away. And we are not thrown away either. God does not tell Hagar to go back because he wants her to get another beating. He tells her to go back because Abram and Sarah are still the family of promise. They're still the ones through whom the world's going to be blessed. God knows that she doesn't stand a chance out here in the wilderness all by herself. And by the way, even after traveling 80 miles by herself, pregnant, she is still only halfway to Egypt. That's a long distance, a long journey, and she is a single woman. She was not going to make it. So God graciously provides for her, right? He doesn't send her back alone. He sends her back with a blessing. He calls her to go back to the people of God. 
I'm a 30-year-old man. Given the uh, timetables of generations, that puts me squarely in the millennial camp. And statistically speaking, for every millennial person, for every person my age who follows Jesus, there are two people my age who have just gone their own way. And a good number of those are young women. They're women who may not have been beaten up, but in one way or another, they, they have been hurt in church. And so as a result, they are now done with Jesus. Maybe you know some of them. Maybe they're your neighbors. Maybe they're your coworkers. Maybe they're even in your family. But just as God called Hagar to go back to the people of God, he's calling them back as well. And Jesus is tearing down the tired, old, cultural story that church is a place where you're going to be hurt. He's tearing that down, and he's building up good, solid, Bible-believing churches that value women, celebrate them, and want them to grow. And you know what, Emmanuel Church? You're one of those churches. This is a church where there's going to be a women's retreat later this month, and the organizers of that event have cast a vision to have women rooted, watered, refreshed, nurtured. This is a church that will routinely give to an organization called CareNet. And do you understand what we do when we give to places like that? We, we're living out this verse from James. As James said, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Did you notice that word? Did you catch that word? In their affliction. Hagar was afflicted and God found her out there alone. No support, no help. He found her. The women who come into Karenat, they're alone. They're afflicted. They're without support. And we find them. When we help widows and orphans, when we help people with no other means of support, we are doing something pure and undefiled before God our Father. So as we, as we wrap up here today, I want to offer two invitations to everyone in the room. First of all, maybe you know somebody who's been used or abused, or if you don't know that, you strongly suspect it. Maybe there's an older man on your street who has a woman less than half of his age, and every time you see her, she just seems afflicted, scared. Maybe you just see someone from across the street or you know a coworker who seems to have a difficult situation. Whatever it is, if you know someone like that, maybe this is your call to invite them to church, to invite them to come here, to this church, this church that loves women, this church that wants to see them restored and built up, that they would know that this is a place where they will be loved. Maybe you know someone like that because you are that person. If you are that person and you still, after all these years, are going through the shame and the hurt that came from that, don't keep it to yourself. 
as a church, we're called to bear each other's burdens and therefore, what? Finish it. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. The elders here, the organizers of the Women's Conference, they would love to pray for you. They would love to support you. They would love to help you lay that down at the foot of the cross and know that you don't have to carry that with you. And so as we, as we go forth from here, my prayer for all of us is that we would be encouraged. Encouraged to share this with other people. This place, but more importantly, the one that we love and serve. The one who goes after those who are oppressed and afflicted. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you love those who, who have no support and that you pursue them and you go after them. Lord, we thank you that even as, we, as we've failed and maybe driven people away in the past, that you don't leave us in that, you don't throw us away, you don't abandon us, but you call them back so we would have another chance to bless them. And so, Lord, as we go forth from here, please bless the women who hear this and the men who hear this to stand up for you and to show your love to the world. Amen.